Welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I just uh, recently read this book called The Jazz Age President about Warren Harding. Now, I know many of you probably are thinking, wait a minute, who's Warren Harding? You know, is he, uh, he was a president, I know that, but what did he do exactly? And you probably don't have any thoughts coming to your mind about what he accomplished because uh, even in my, my general history books that I read growing up, it basically, they, they usually say that he didn't really do anything. And so there's nothing memorable that many of us have when we think of Warren Harding, but that couldn't be further from the truth. And I have with me Ryan S. Walters to explain, he's the author of The Jazz Age President, to explain um, what I find to be not just the significance, but the admirable qualities that Warren Harding had. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining me and being willing to discuss this. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Yeah, we've, we've done, uh, this, I think, our third interview, if I'm not mistaken, second or third. Um, and I know we, the last one we did was on the Apollo one. Uh, and, and now um, it's, it's Warren Harding. And I've noticed there's a pattern with you, with some of the books that you publish, you're not doing the, the big, you're not doing like Abraham Lincoln's, you know, 1700th uh, biography. You're picking uh, places that haven't really been uh, focused on so much. Is there a, a reason for that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I did the same thing with Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland. Uh, that's right. That's the other one I was thinking of. Yep. Grover Cleveland, uh, yeah, a lot of these guys have been maligned. I call Harding the most maligned president in American history. And the reason for that, aside from the fact that he is, I mean, when you read the stuff historians have said about Harding, it's, it's pretty terrible. They've been doing it for 100 years. But he's finished last in more presidential rankings than any other president, even Buchanan. I think Buchanan's going to pass him eventually. Harding's actually come up a few notches in recent years. But he's still in the bottom 10, and he's still considered a failed presidency. But when you pull back and you look at his whole record and look at the man and look at what he actually accomplished and look at what was going on when he became president, the record's actually really good. Um, he actually had a really good record. But again, most historians are left-wing progressives, and they like Wilson, and they like FDR, and they like Lincoln, and presidents like that that are activists. They don't like Warren Harding. They don't like America first uh, policies. They don't like laissez-faire economics. They don't like capitalism. So they're they going to hate Warren Hart. To pique people's interest a little here, because I know um, that's not a common name they hear, but I, I was surprised about a few things. He did remind me of Ronald Reagan, but he honestly, he reminded me more of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize the America, America first, right, which I associate with Donald Trump. I mean, Harding was the one that actually used this phrase quite a bit and the return to normalcy, but, but America first it, policies were definitely uh, part and parcel to his cabinet and, and everything he did from foreign policy to, to domestic policy and fiscal policy and all of it seems to be uh, America first stuff. So could, could you talk about that a little bit? Um, the comparison between Warren Harding and Donald Trump. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Robert Spencer gave me a good blurb for the back and he called Harding Trump before Trump which is something I've thought as well. Uh, again, Trump basically ran on a Harding platform. Uh, remember, Harding, you got to put Harding in his context. Now, Wilson ran for re-election in 1916, and he used the America First slogan. But obviously, you know, he was, and he was one re-election in a close uh, fight with uh, Charles Evans Hughes, uh, inaugurated on March the 4th, 
1917, and a month later, we're in World War One. So <laughs> obviously, he didn't really mean it. I mean, you know, we know a lot about Wilson. He didn't mean a lot of things. Um, Harding was was true to his word. I mean, coming out of World War One, that was basically an internationalist crusade that we got into. And then, of course, remember the, the, the flu plant pandemic that came out of that. And all those things were going on. Other things were going on in the country. And people were just fed up with it. And Harding came in with his, his signature slogan was return to normalcy. But he used America first throughout his campaign. Um, said, we got to prosper America for you. Take care of America first. Um, and when his inaugural address, he said the same thing. We got we to disentangle from the old world. We don't want to get in, involved in their entanglements anymore. He was talking about Europe. So he had an America first policy on, on foreign affairs, on trade policy, and really economic policy because he wanted to prosper the American people first. And of course, we end up with the boom of the roaring 20s. Well, so let's take a situation, if, if we could, uh, today, uh, one that's very uh, prevalent right now. And I know this, this podcast is going to drop a, a few days after the time period we're in right this second with Russia. But something like um, this, the situation going on with Russia, how do you think, hypothetically, how would Warren, Har Warren Harding uh, navigate something like that, you think? Uh, what principles? Yeah, he would stay out of it. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting. I just was scrolling through Twitter yesterday and looking at people's comments about it, particularly left-wingers. Of course, they're trying to blame it on Trump. But the other thing is, I was shocked at how many people thought we ought to go get involved in it and, and uh, rescue Ukraine. And I feel for the Ukrainian people. I feel for what's going on over there. We should pray for them every day. But um, I just I just kept thinking, what, you know, do we want to get into an, an entanglement with a nuclear armed Russia over Ukraine? Do you want to, you know, do you want to sacrifice your uh, country for Ukraine? I mean, if it turned nuclear, Harding would be a, again. We're going to disentangle ourselves from the old world. In other words, their squabbles are their squabbles, and we we want to sacrifice American lives and spill American blood for somebody else. Now, understand, he was in the Senate. Germany's unrestricted submarine warfare that pushed a lot of people to support the war. He voted for the war uh, and supported the war. But when it was over, his position was we need to return to a more traditional, non-interventionist foreign policy. Okay, and that's what he that's what he pushed as president. Now, one of the things that you talk about, another situation I want to bring up as a parallel in some ways, it's not perfect, but you had, uh, I, I didn't realize this because BLM doesn't focus on this today in their narrative as much, but you had, um, you had race riots and, and of course, uh, the uh, socialist uh, terrorism attacks kind of at the same time. And Warren Harding as a, a conservative Republican president uh, really uh, brought an end to some of this and uh, he doesn't get that credit i think probably because today that would punch a hole in the narrative that uh, 1619 blm are trying to tell but uh but that i see some parallels uh the civil unrest that warren harding was focusing on and then the civil unrest of the past uh two or three years uh do you see those parallels as well oh yeah that was one of the things I wanted to do was put Harding in his proper context. There was one uh, scholar who tried to say that, or a couple of them actually, that tried to say that Harding was not a great president because he didn't really accomplish anything while he was in office and that he didn't have any great uh, problems to overcome. You know, these these scholars like presidents who, who overcome crisis and, and, and come into a, you know, a crisis presidency. That's not true at all. I mean, when you look at it, there's a lot going on in the country and most things people didn't know was happening. Um, today, and not only coming out of World War One and, and the flu pandemic, but in beginning in late 1918 into 1919, and 1919 was an awful year. 
1918, you had all that. You had the fight over the League of Nations in the 19, in 1919. Wilson had a stroke and he was incapacitated for about nine months and people didn't know it and you know, they kept it secret. From the, we didn't have a president. We had, well, his wife was really running the presidency, but we effectively didn't have a president for about nine months while he was recovering from a stroke. Um, of course, the Senate voted the league down twice. Harding was involved in that fight, but 1990, a lot of terrorism. Uh, these anarchists and Bolshevik groups were setting off bombs. One, one place they bombed was the home of uh, the Attorney General of the United States. Um, they targeted a lot of people um, during that year. Uh, labor strikes, thousands and thousands of workers around the country went on strike. Uh, but the racial violence in the summer was so bad, they call it the Red Summer of 1919. There were dozens of Black Americans that were lynched. And I don't mean in the South. I mean, the worst racial violence was in Chicago that year. Really? Uh, rioting. Oh, yeah, it was it was terrible. Um, all of that kind of stuff was going on. It was just a year of upheaval is what I call it. And then, of course, w- when you roll into 1920, the first thing that happens in January 1920, the economy goes into a depression. So it was just one thing after another. So when Harding runs on return to normalcy, people were really ready to hear that. Well, he was a kind of a blue collar guy, right? In a way, he's a newspaper man, but from rural Ohio. And he brought those values to uh, the White House when he came and um, very uh, populist, uh, for the most part, conservative. And I do know he has you mentioned in the book he had some progressive tendencies as well. What were those? He had a few progressive tendencies. I guess everybody does to some degree. I mean, he did he did support uh, helping uh, famine victims in Russia. We sent a lot of supplies to Russia. He, he signed a bill to help to create maternity wards and, and things like that. There were a few little things that he did. But overall, his overall philosophy was very conservative, very much America first. Well, let's go. Can we go through some of these issues that parallel today's issues? I think this would be fun. And just, okay, how did Warring Harding solve a similar incident? So let's start, if, if we could, uh, or, or what were the accomplishments of Warren Harding? Um, the economy. What was the situation? What did Warren Harding do and what uh, did it work out? It's called the Forgotten Depression in American History. And there's a really good book by James Grant on that called the Forgotten. Most people don't really had a depression in 1920. They know about 1929. They might know right. something before that, but they said 19, we had one in 1920. Yeah, we had one in 1920. It hit in January of 1920, coming out of that awful year of 1919. And it lasted until July of 1921. And it was pretty bad. I mean, unemployment went from 4% to 12. And part of that was because the army was coming back from France and being mustered out of service. But industrial production fell by a third. Corporate profits fell 90%. You got inflation. All of the things that you see in a depression hit, and it was getting worse. So it was, it, it was getting worse by the day for you know, average American people. So Harding comes into office and does not have a stimulus plan. He doesn't have New Deal. He doesn't have... Uh, he's not, we're not sending checks to everybody. We don't have any of that. He's really, uh, Paul uh, Johnson actually called uh, Harding and Coolidge the last presidents to, to handle an economic depression with laissez-faire methods. So their method was cut spending, cut taxes, cut regulations. Those kind of things is what he did. He cut taxes. Uh, the top rate on taxes, the income tax, had gone up above 70% during World War uh, One. Now they cut that down, Harding and Coolidge cut that down to 25%. Spending was cut 50% across the board. I mean, that would be like today us walking in and cutting spending by half, just, just gutting it by half uh, in one year. So it, it, spending was uh, cut in half. Regulations, um, 
yeah. set aside, things like that, to free up the economy. And business were, were happy about that. They were happy when Harding was elected and Coolidge came in. You can see the headlines. I have some of them in the book. That business was really happy because because Wilson had really strangled them throughout his entire presidency, and particularly during World War One. So they were ready to bust loose, and they did in the 1920s. We almost get another sec, another industrial revolution. I mean, and the thing about it is. When you look at the statistics, people say, well, I'm sure it was trickle-down economics and the rich got rich and the poor got poor. Not true. Look at the wages. Wages grew for every single class of American, and they grew the most at the bottom because people were getting jobs in Ford plants, building cars and you know, cars and all these kind of things exploded, industrial production. So people were getting very good jobs. What helped everybody? And the economy boomed during the 1920s. We've never seen a decade like that. We've never seen a decade where we average 7% growth. Well, he, he made them the happy. roaring 20s. Yeah. We, yeah. We, get, we get happy with 3%. Hey, look, we got 3%. They, they <laughs> average 7% growth a year, had a surplus every year, cut income taxes four times, and paid down a third of the national debt. Now, when have you ever seen anything like that? Yeah, no, the, we never pay down the national debt. No, I never. actually cringe what Biden uh as we're recording this, this speech was yesterday and the reaction to the Ukraine uh, situation said, I'm going to use every tool at my disposal to keep gas prices low. And I thought, oh, please don't. Because, you know, if you because, you know, if you were like Harding, you would have cut taxes. You probably would have let them drill in Alaska. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about. And um, so anyway, uh, that I was fascinated by that. That's probably one of his greatest accomplishments. Uh, the economy. And he doesn't get credit for it. He does not get credit for it. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you read these books or see these documentaries, they'll talk about the Warring Twenties, and you'll be shocked at how many times they don't even mention Harding or Coolidge at all. It's just like they were sort of innocent bystanders while all this was going on. No, they put in the right policies, and the economy took off because they just backed off and let people go, yeah. and that's that was the that's the result of. It. Now, why does Harding get a bad, I, I want to come back to his accomplishments, but why, he gets kind of a bad rap in the popular media when he is mentioned for being this immoral kind of playboy character who yeah. bucked prohibition and you know, someone you couldn't really, kind of a seedy character. Why is that? Well, he, he did have a few. He was not perfect in his uh, personal life. I mean, he was married to a woman named Florence, uh, Florence Clean. Uh, she had had a common law marriage to a guy named Pete DeWolf when she was younger, and they had a they had a son. And of course, her father didn't like Pete DeWolf, and and she was estranged from her dad. And and Pete DeWolf was an was an alcoholic. And he ran off on her, and she met Harding, and Harding owned the Marion Star there in Marion, Ohio. He was a, a businessman, and she met Harding, and they got married. And I think their marriage was more of a partnership. They never had any children together. Um, and of course, the success of the newspaper a lot, is largely attributed to her. She had a very good business mind, and it was a very big success uh, uh, financially for the Hardings. Uh, Harding did have a couple of extramarital affairs earlier in his life, uh, one with a woman named Carrie Phillips and then another one with Nan Britton. That's the most infamous one. We do know now that Nan Britton had a daughter, and she said it was Hardings at the time. We do know now through DNA that it was. Harding's again what was going on between Mr. and Miss Harding I don't know the issues but not while he was president the way they trash him is he was a he was a, a rowdy you know like you say playboy drunk uh had all these wild parties in the White House and all this kind of stuff and you see this in films and things none of that's true Harding had knocked a lot of that off he even quit drinking alcohol when he was president um there, there wow. was none of that kind of stuff and I have three primary sources of people that worked in the White House who testified of that, that 
he did, there was none of that kind of stuff going so, on. One of them was Secret Service agent. Was this a recycled news uh, smear from his enemies then? Yeah, just... yeah, a lot of it was political attacks. You see the same thing with Grover Cleveland, other conservative presidents. There's a lot of stuff that the politicians and all throw at each other. We see that every year now. And historians just picked it up as it was true, you know, people that didn't like him and they never really checked into it. And you read these books and they'll, they'll say all this kind of stuff and without any type of source attribution at all. Yeah. And just because it's become common knowledge that Harding was a, was a wild party guy and didn't yeah. do anything for the country. He was just there to have a good time and brought his friends and they stole everything. And it's just ridiculous. But when you look at the sources, look at primary sources, look at people that knew him, you get a totally different story. Well, he worked, I think you've said in the book, sometimes 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have time for partying. And that, and that reminds me of Trump again with the, you know, yeah. just energy, yeah. endless energy. Yeah. And, and of course, that's what they always want to say, that conservative presidents were lazy and didn't do anything. And they did this, that and the other. And you find the opposite. Grover Cleveland was the same way. We worked about 18 hours a day, Harding. And you find people in the, working in the White House that will testify to that. Of course, other other one, you know, Lyndon Johnson took a nap in the middle of the day and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Harding was a hardworking president and people that were around him, you know, said that. What, what about domestic issues, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, uh, cultural issues, things like that, like the, the, the riots that happened. How did Harding address some of these things? This is this is an area, again, that he doesn't get a lot of credit for, if any at all. You don't ever see this in books or in documentaries or anything, but his views on race um, Harding came up, um, he was, he was picked on a lot. And the rumor was around Marion, Ohio was that he had black blood and they, they called him the, the N word, mm. and, which he didn't like, obviously. So he was, he was kind of, so I think it was kind of interesting because he kind of could at least understand what blacks were going through, at least in some kind of way, even his own father-in-law, Amos Clean, uh, would call him that word, didn't like him. Um, we know now through DNA, that's not true, but. Again, I think he's a little bit dark complected in those days, even in the North, if you were like that, that people would, would throw that at you. So he had some sympathy for black Americans. We came in, um, he wanted to do something about it. And he had a very good record on that. He called for a civil rights law. He called for a federal law uh, to ban lynching, to make lynching a federal crime. Um, he went to Birmingham, Alabama. Talk about courage. He goes to Birmingham, Alabama in October, 1921 speaks to a large segregated audience, obviously. And his speeches on why blacks need to be given equal <laughs> rights inside the country. You know, they ought to have yeah. equal opportunities in, in, in politics and in, in education and in economics. And you, and you talk about the heart of the old Confederacy. Uh, show me a president that would go do something like that. He spoke at an all-black college in uh, Pennsylvania and uh, to, their, to their graduating ceremony, shook hands with every one of the graduates, or about 400 of them. Um, so he has a very good record. Uh, again, some of those bills didn't get passed, but again, at least he used the presidency, used the bully pulpit to do that, to try to um, do something for black Americans. Now you compare him with Wilson and FDR. Wilson's a notorious racist. So was FDR. FDR didn't do anything for yeah. black Americans. Nothing at all. And they're uh, progressive heroes. And yet Harding yeah, gets monuments and all that kind of stuff. FDR's record on race is deplorable. Absolutely deplorable. His wife, Eleanor, the first lady, tried to get him to support anti-lynching legislation and things like that, integrate the military. Would not do it because he didn't want to anger Southern senators that he needed to pass the new deal. So, so um, 
you put politics over the plight of African Americans. Well, there's the whole you know internment camps too, and that kind of thing. But not, yeah, not to mention yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, Harding. But that, that, those people were were considered political enemies and, and and just actual enemies. And you know, FDR did that by executive order. The Supreme Court 1944 Korematsu case upheld that to keep them in internment camps. Um, yeah. Remember, in Wilson, the same thing was going on. Anybody that opposed the war under Woodrow Wilson, World War One, they threw him in jail, including Eugene Debs, who was a socialist, got a 10-year sentence because he gave one speech denouncing the war. There were other people. You know, Upton Sinclair was arrested because he read the Bill of Rights out loud on a street corner. Harding came in and pardoned all those people. He pardoned Eugene Debs. He commuted his sentence and actually asked Debs to come to the White House to, to, to meet with him. I mean, the, the leading socialist in the country diametrically opposed to Harding, but Harding's idea was this is the right thing to do. He didn't see him as an enemy. He didn't hate Eugene Debs the way Woodrow Wilson did. And that's, I think that's a testament to his character. Eugene Debs said after the meeting with Harding, he said he has a, he's a good man with humane impulses. Well, and that reminded me, again, a lot of Trump because he was very trusting. I know you talk about and there were and some people took advantage of this, but he, he loved animals. He loved humans and and he, he assumed the best oftentimes, and that got him in a little bit of hot water towards the end there, which I, I see the same thing with Trump. The people he trusted kind of at the end uh, didn't really help him that much. Um, but uh, let's talk about some other accomplishments. Uh, what about on the uh, diplomatic stage? Um, I mean, what, what did Warren, Hart, Warren Harding accomplish um, dip, in diplomacy? His foreign policy, again, is another area where he gets no credit at all. But when you look at what he accomplished in foreign policy, and remember, Harding served 882 days in office. He, he died in 1923. But when you look at his accomplishments, it's pretty impressive in every aspect what he was able to do in that length of time. It's about 100, he's been, he was about 150 days less than JFK was in office, and he accomplished a lot more than Kennedy did. And I look a lot at his foreign policy because it's quite impressive. I mean, he formally ended World War One. We still had troops in the Rhineland in Germany. He withdrew those troops. He called a foreign a World War Foreign Debt Commission because debts were through the roof. These governments had so many debts. We were owed $10 billion uh, by Europe. And of course, Germany's reparations, they, they, they tried to straighten a lot of that out. His biggest accomplishment was the Washington Disarmament Conference that he called that met in November 1921 until February 1922, because the big powerful feared weapons of the day were naval weapons. This is before air power was fully developed, certainly long before nuclear weapons. So people feared the Navy, and that was at least part of the reason for World War I, the, the great German-Britain naval race that led up to World War I. So they called this conference, and the idea was, was to put limits on naval weapons, and they were able to do that. They also banned poison gas on, for use on the battlefield. There were also some treaties, particularly for in the Pacific realm, there was some agitation and things with Japan. Japan wasn't happy. We were, we've been antagonizing Japan and, and, and they've been antagonizing us for, since we took the Philippines. Actually before that, there were a lot of little issues. One scholar said the treaties that came out of the Washington conference helped uh, ease tensions and probably delayed war in the Pacific for at least a decade. So there were a lot of accomplishments he had. Uh, Caribbean. Uh, Wilson had messed up a lot of our relationships with Mexico and a lot of countries in the Caribbean and Latin America. Harding started 
uh, repairing those relations. He reached out to pre President Mexico, who was really upset at Wilson. Remember the whole Pancho Villa expedition down there? And, and uh, the Mexican president called Wilson a terrible enemy of Mexico. But when Harding came in, he said, this is a day of deliverance. And Harding reached out to him, repaired those relations. There were some troops in the Caribbean that he withdrew. So he had that kind of foreign policy. He wouldn't offense and let's occupy things and, and throw our weight around. No, he was pulling back and, and withdrawing troops from around uh, in different places in the world and repairing our relations. So he should get a lot more credit for that. I got a couple of pieces coming out in the next few weeks on his foreign policy in, in various publications. So maybe people can see that, that that foreign policy works. It's not activist, it's not interventionist, it's not internationalist, it's, it's a more traditional American foreign policy. And that's what we need now more than ever. Um, I would just encourage people, uh, go check this out. Where's the best place that they can get the Jazz Age president? Well, you can get it on Amazon. That's a good place to get it. You can also get it at Barnes and Noble. I think they're in some of the Barnes and Noble stores. At least people have told me they were. Um, probably Amazon's a good place to get. You can go to Regnery's website, but they got links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and some other places that you can get. It. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to get it on Amazon. Well, I mean, there's other places to get it as well. And, and if you want the Audible uh, audio version, you go to Audible and you can get that as well and listen to it. It's a, I listened to it. I, I started reading it and then uh, I, I got busy and I was on a long drive and I downloaded the Audible. It's, it's very well read. So um, I would just encourage people because this is um, not only something you can impress your friends with that you know about Warren Harding when they don't. Uh, but it's it's certainly in my mind at the end, I thought I, I have a new hero here in some ways, a, a political hero. And I didn't expect to have one, you know, in Warren Harding. But uh, this is a guy I mean, I can really I feel like I I agree with so much of uh, what he says on on just about every issue. And uh, and, you know, conservatives are constantly looking for heroes. And, Ray, you know, it's like Reagan is the one that we still and he's a great man, but we still go back to Reagan. Right. And, and there's so many other heroes uh, in that pantheon of conservative statesmen that, that America has produced. And Warren Harding is probably at the top of that list. So, it should uh, be. yeah, check it out. And uh, yeah, appreciate you writing this. And um, you let me know when you write something else, because I always like your material. <laughs> Well, I'm working on, like, like I, you know, we talked about earlier, I'm working on a book on Vietnam, so a political history of Vietnam. So I'll be diving into Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson and Nixon um, in a book because, and I'm calling it an unnecessary war because I think it's, yeah, looking at it now, it's completely unnecessary. Um, yeah. Certainly different than Warren Harding's foreign policy because, you know, Warren Harding was a, was a member of what, what we call the old right. He would be a paleo conservative today. And right. you understand the differences in the conservative movement. Uh, you know, Harding would not be a neocon at all. Um, uh, he would, he's a, very much a paleo-conservative, and I think a lot of people would, will, will, particularly if you like Trump, you'll like Harding. Yeah. you like Wilson, you like FDR, you probably won't. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you stopping by, sharing that with us. Anytime. I encourage people to get the book. Anytime. I appreciate it. Yeah, God bless. God bless you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.